Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to Episode 2 of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries both supernatural and natural, anything that's strange, odd, and makes you wonder. And in this episode, we'll be talking about transhumanism. Uh, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and of course, I'm here with Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So transhumanism, Jimmy, uh, You know, the, just the, to remind folks, we're... Uh, we're talking about a variety of interesting and strange topics, and uh, today we're going to talk about transhumanism. What is transhumanism, Jim? Basically, it's the idea that in the near future, we're going to be able to transcend our biological limitations. That's why it's called transhumanism, and that science and technology will enable us to radically re-engineer who we are, uh, so that we have all kinds of different abilities and aptitudes compared to the ones we presently have. And we will no longer be human beings. We'll be post-humans. So um, we will uh, have sort of evolved to the next level. We've seen this a lot in uh, science fiction, right? We, 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 they, right. We, uh, you know, whether it's Star Trek or, or other more contemporary fiction, these ideas that we uh, become more and i mean in a way um the x-men is a classic version well, of yeah, that that's I, due I to mutation gonna, right right i was going to mention the x-men as an example of transhumans the tomorrow people would be another one with star trek um the what you, the closest transhuman analogy you have is the borg right. um most humans in star trek are basically what we are now you know, right. uh, they're not they're they're still recognizably our species. They haven't been biomedically or mechanically augmented in significant ways, uh, certainly not enough to change the species. But the claim that transhumanists make and this is not these people are not uh, just sci fi fans. They really want to do this. Yes. And and this is a real world thing. And they're claiming that during our lifetimes, it will be possible to make major modifications and improvements to the human race. Uh, they expect that these changes will occur incrementally, not all at once. Uh, but And they'll happen through a variety of biomedical and technological means, including things like genetic engineering, mechanical augmentation and the development of better than human artificial intelligence. Uh, they, many of them talk about an upcoming event that they expect called the singularity. And the idea is a singularity in physics is a place where uh, the normal order of things breaks down and you can't really predict what's going to be on the other side of a singularity. And the idea is that we're rushing towards that technology is changing at such a rate now that we're rushing towards a technological singularity that will radically transform society. And we really can't predict too much about what's going to happen on the other side of the singularity and what it's going to be like. And they're expecting the singularity. Different authors have different estimates, but they're expecting it really fast. Sometime between 2030 and 2045 
would be common estimates of this. And so they'll say things like, well, as we uh, as, as we have all of these changes happening due to technology, for example, we're going to be able to extend our lives. And it's not like someone's going to one day invent an immortality pill. But what will happen, according to them, is that just as we've already been lengthening people's average lifespan through modern medicine, that will continue to happen. And at some point, the rate at which the average lifespan is increasing will be more than one year per calendar year that passes. So, for example, in 2030, let's say, the average human lifespan might be 90 years old. And then just a year later, the average lifespan might be 92 years old. And then a year after that, the average lifespan might be 94 years old. And so you keep inching up the uh, average human lifespan. And as long as the rate the average is increasing is greater than one year per calendar year, you can effectively, the average person can live indefinitely into the future. And so it, it would be a kind of physical immortality. They also expect that um, we'll not only be able to stop aging, but even reverse it so that we'll be physically immortal. Um, but because uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to live at any physical age okay. we want. So you would, continually yeah. be 20 years old physically. I was going to say, because, you know, uh, you could, you know, if otherwise you could be 94 and have the the the, the health and vitality of a 94 year old. It's not that's not exactly I'm not sure anybody wants to do that. Uh, well, to, uh, some indefinitely. 94 year olds, but well, yeah, but indefinitely. Uh, yeah. So, OK, so it's um, it's both extending lifespan but also reversing aging. Okay. And and right. is there any other aspects of this that uh... Oh yeah, that's that's just one of okay. the changes they want to, they want to make. Uh they want to also expand our intelligence uh which might happen through genetic engineering but also could happen through um mechanical implants in our brains that would for example hook us up to the internet and give us a kind of uh, in in uh John Scalzi's Old Man's War mm -hmm. series of sci-fi novels. These are called brain pals. Um, but you would have a brain pal, a little computer in your head with an artificial intelligence that would help you calculate things better than you can right now. You would be able to uh, talk to people over the Internet giving through your brain, giving you a kind of mechanical equivalent of telepathy. Um, they want to give us better bodies that are stronger and can survive in adverse environments like on an unterraformed Mars, for example. And uh, they even talk about uploading our minds into computer systems, uh, including ones that are uh, housed in robot bodies. So sometimes you'll encounter transhumanists talking about becoming a robot as if that's like something they're really planning on doing, which would then give them a kind of digital immortality, whether they're living in the cloud or whether they're living in a robot body. And obviously, these the magnitude of these changes is breathtaking. And frankly, they are wanting post-humans to be even more different from modern humans than modern humans are different from Neanderthals. 
So this is like a huge leap that they're wanting to accomplish technologically. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, John Scalzi's Old Man's War, and, and in, yeah. in a way, that's actually a probably a, a good example of many of these elements. Uh, yeah. It, it, the, 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 the premise is that you have the elderly on Earth who are you know, near, nearing death are given an opportunity to be downloaded their consciousness into new uh, bodies uh, mm-hmm. off Earth to be part of, uh, of, uh, of an army and that uh, the bodies it's ex- expensive. They want something in return for the treatment. Exactly. Um, and so they have to give the, this service and this very dangerous uh, wars with the aliens. Uh, and the bodies are enhanced. They're uh, able to survive in bad environments, like you said. They, the brains are better. They're de- they've got the brain pal and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's an interesting example of what a lot of these people want. So what do we say to this uh, from a counterclaim? What, what's the counterclaim against any of this? Well, the most extreme form of the counterclaim is all, and frankly, what a lot of people's initial reaction is, is this is all ridiculous and none of it will ever happen. It's just pure pipe dreams, pie in the sky nonsense. Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty straight, straightforward. Um, it's, so we, we kind of, it's either we're going to have this stuff or it's not, not possible to have this stuff. So what, what where do we, where do we start uh, here? Well, um, it's fair to point out that medicine and technology are increasing at rapid rates, and we can expect reasonably that those trends are going to continue into the future. Um, It's also uh, fair to point out that transhumanists, even though there aren't a lot of them who are like self-identifying whole hog transhumanists, they're a very influential minority. An example of that would be one of the leaders of the movement, Ray Kurzweil, Mm -hmm. um, who's the author of a number of books, including The Singularity is Near. And I think one of his other titles is Live 20 Years and Live Forever. You know, the idea if you can just live the next couple of decades, you'll be able to ride the aging curve as lifespans increase. Um, he was hired by Google to be one of their, to oversee one of their key engineering uh, projects to help Google better understand natural language search queries and use artificial intelligence to parse them rather than just, um, rather than just responding to, to strings of search terms. And so, you know, the... This guy has millions of dollars under his supervision at Google. This this is a serious person. Um, so you have people who are serious players in the world of tech who are uh, who, who are who are transhumanists, and that's an indication that you know we shouldn't be too dismissive too quickly. Of all of this, I, I, I think the we, the Howard Hughes of our age is Elon Musk, and even he's yeah. talked to uh, in, in in maybe not to the degree that uh, Kurzweil has, but he's talked about some of these concepts of because he has this plan to put uh, a colony of a million people on Mars within our lifetimes, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak, <laughs> however long those turn out to be. Uh, but uh, well, I think within within a century, I think is the idea is once a million people on Mars, uh, and mm-hmm. some of that would require. Uh, some of this transhumanist changes to to humanity, uh, but one of the mm-hmm. things that um, 
that I think about when I hear this is that it sort of assumes that uh, medicine and technology will continue to increase at the rate they have for the past, you know, 50, 60 or 70 or 100 years. Yeah, I think it, from a from the perspective of reason that some of the more modest transhumanist goals are probably achievable. Whether the immortality one is or not, I don't know. But I think it is fair to say that uh, we can expect human lifespans to continue to increase. Whether we can expect that it'll ever, in a sustained way, be increasing the average lifespan at a rate of more than a year per year, I don't know that that's going to happen. A lot of things can stall out. Uh, right. A lot of trends don't continue indefinitely. Um, their uh, reality tends to have a way of constraining unrestrained change. And, you know, we see examples of uh, or a potential example of that in computer technology right now. One of the things that uh, that computer scientists have talked about for years is something called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law is the idea that every 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 18 months, and some would say it's already starting to stretch to two years, but every 18 months to two years, computers double in their power as we're able to build better chips. In fact, uh, I've heard people talking about that Moore's Law no longer applies. It's broken. Exactly. And a lot of scientists, uh, computer scientists have been expecting Moore's Law to break at some point in the future unless because we're running into the limits of what you can do with silicon, which is what computer chips rely on. And unless we can come up with robust quantum computing that would allow us to make even smaller logical interactions, uh, then uh, we can't expect computers to just indefinitely double in power all the time. Right. Um, so it, it, a, a Moore's Law-like breakdown could happen in any given field especially if you're relying on things like better than human artificial intelligence, which is computer dependent, to help engineer all of these changes for you. Right. Um, Go ahead. Um, In addition, you know, some of these things sound really cool, like, okay, we could do genetic engineering to improve people's intelligence, let's say, or cure cancer or whatever it may be. The problem is genes are interdependent in a complex way. And even though we've now mapped the human genome and we're learning much more about it, it may turn out that there are big trade-offs. Like you can't increase someone's intelligence without giving them obsessive compulsive disorder or you can't or manic depression. Or right. you can't cure cancer without causing some huge biological problem in a person. And so um, we, we transhumanists can't simply assume that we're not going to hit trade-offs like that that would impede the overall progress of their program. Um, in addition, some of their goals uh, just look impossible. Um, it looks really hard any time in the next century or more to upload, to make a digital representation of someone's consciousness. Um, the human mind is just way too complex, and you don't have a good way of mirroring that. I mean, our best brain scanners right now can't pick up on individual neurons right. and so forth and how the trillions of connections in our brains 
could be represented in digital form. It's hard to imagine any you know non-destructive way or even any destructive way of mirroring somebody's brain in a uh, in a computer system anytime in the near future. And even if you could make a digital representation of you, it wouldn't be you. Right. It would it would be a copy. So there's becoming a robot is intrinsically impossible. You can't become a robot any more than you can become a prime number. Right. I mean, what you would have is a robot that can mimic you and has perhaps has your memories at best. At best. And it may think it's you, but right. as soon as you point out, wait, weren't you born a human being and aren't you just a digital representation? A a non-ideologically deluded robot would have to say, "Oh yeah, I guess I'm just a robot. Who, I'm 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 effectively a mechanical swamp thing. I, I think I'm Alec <laughs> Holland, but I'm really not." If uh, if you are a fan of the TV show Westworld, um, I, without I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's still working their way through it, but this is a key element of the of the second season. Uh, this this mm. problem, um, and so actually, I mean if. If you're okay with watching Westworld and and the people have issues with the violence and the nudity, but apart uh-huh. from that, the story itself is a fascinating exploration of this idea. Uh, one of the things that with the problem of mapping, you know, mapping the the the, the digital consciousness uh, of or you know, making a digital representation of it is a we don't actually know how the brain really works, like the, how yeah. the brain works in the sense of. We don't know how the brain forms memories or thoughts. We just we can kind of see that there's activity in certain places, like on an MRI, but we right. don't know what's what's actually going on to make those things. So and 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 then there's what's called the hard problem of consciousness, as opposed to the easier problems of consciousness. The hard problem is why do we have this phenomenon of consciousness? How does that map onto a physical object like the brain. Right. Um, and it it could well turn out, even if you made a digital representation of you that could talk and think just like you, it wouldn't be conscious. It would just be a, a, a computer with no literal awareness, manipulating symbols and spitting out output that mimics your conversation. Right. But has no self-awareness in that in the yeah. sense, in that sense. Not the way we yeah. do. And one of the key things is, uh, and I've, I've read some articles on this recently from psychologists, basically kind of hitting back at the way we've talked about the brain uh, over the past few decades. The brain is not a computer. It doesn't work like a computer. We often talk mm-hmm. about like, I'm, I'm downloading this lesson. I'm, uh, you know, we, we use analogical terms related to yeah. computers, but our brain is not a computer. Um, and right. one of the things I keep those bringing, are Those are metaphors. Yes. And, and and about the whole about thing about like downloading our brains into a robot, I, uh, that's sort of related to something I keep saying about Star Trek, which is that the transporter is not a transportation device; it's a murder device <laughs> because because <Yeah. laughs> it murders the person on the transporter and reconstructs a clone of them somewhere else. Uh, uh, but you know, it's a TV show, and we can uh, I'll, I'll I'll hang a nail on that and uh, yeah, that sort of thing. We One can talk the, about that in another episode. Yes, and and maybe in the Secrets of Star Trek, which is another show we have. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I encounter, like this idea of like we keep extending the lifespan. Lifespan is is a statistical term that isn't about like how long everybody lives. It's when we take into account all the ways people die. This is the average age that people get to. And one right. of the one of the things that this functional immortality d- doesn't take into account is 
accidental death uh, or violent death. Yeah. Well, and they transhumanists will acknowledge that. They'll say when we talk about people being immortal, it's not immortal in the sense of unkillable. Right. People could still die through accident. They could still die through warfare. But we're apart from those things. They would no longer die or no longer have to die through aging and disease. Okay. So that's really what they're talking about. Okay. And so that's that's sort of from the from the reason perspective. From a faith perspective, this idea of um, our brain, especially with the idea of um, downloading ourselves into a robot, separating it, it, it separates. Uh, it it says that what we really are is our brain, our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And not or data really, or data that our brain is housing, right? And not our body. But from a mm-hmm. Catholic perspective, we are as much our body as we are our consciousness and our soul, which is also separate from the other two in that sense, right? Right. We're not we're not angels. We're not uh, we're not just created intellects. We are by nature embodied creatures from a faith perspective. And um, when you start talking about radically changing the nature of our bodies, that's something that that has repercussions from a faith perspective. And actually, the Holy See, uh, Rome, has been um, has been talking about transhumanism, not in so much in terms of some of their longer term goals, like downloading yourself into a robot, but in terms of uh, in, in terms of some of the more modest goals, uh, the Holy See has been taking them very seriously, actually, and sounding alarm bells about them. Uh, you'll see this particularly, and it's in a variety of documents, uh, including as far back as Vatican II. They start to talk in Vatican II about how modern technology may create, for example, new forms of enslavement. Hmm scientifically that it wouldn't have been possible in the past, kind of like Brave New World situations where you have alphas and betas as different castes in society. They're programmed and locked into certain roles. Um, But more recently, uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in 2008 issued an instruction called Dignitas Personae, which is Latin for the dignity of the person, that talks about how, among other things, how some of these transhumanist ideas are contrary to human dignity and uh, that they carry grave dangers with them. Anytime you start messing with people on a fundamental level, you know, let's say genetic engineering, you could have unintended consequences. You could accidentally create a plague that could pose an existential threat either to humanity or to a large chunk of humanity. Um, Another key plank in the transhumanist agenda is the use of nanotechnology or, you know, tiny machines to make changes and stuff. And, you know, uh, science fiction writers and people working in nanotechnology have warned about the dangers of, uh, of the potential dangers of having t- billions and trillions of runaway tiny robots that could start disassembling uh, civilization and just turning it into gray goo as they self-replicate. Mm. Uh, another another you know part of the transhumanist agenda is better than human artificial intelligence. But if you create a better than human artificial intelligence, assuming that's even possible. 
it's going to be smarter than us. And that makes it <laughs> potentially dangerous. Skynet. Um, Skynet would <laughs> yeah. be one example yeah. or, or Colossus 1980, the Foreman project. You know, there've been yeah. all kinds of cautionary tales about runaway artificial intelligence uh, that, you know, gets so smart, it can trick us into doing what it wants. Um, now, not all of those have been discussed by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, but one that has um, is, involves genetic engineering because they it, the church acknowledges that genetic engineering for therapeutic purposes can be a good thing. You know, if someone has a genetic disease and you can fix that, that's great. That's like fixing any other disease that someone has. That's within the legitimate purview of medicine. But if you're talking about non-therapeutic changes, like boosting some people's intelligence, well, we live in a world governed by economics, economics being the study of, all, of resources that have alternative uses. And not as you introduce a new technology, typically not everybody has access to it. Um, so, you know, when iPhones first came out and even today, not everybody in the world can afford an iPhone. Some people can afford it. Some people can't. And if you start introducing improvements to human nature, the, the, they're largely initially going to be available only to the rich. And you thus run the risk of creating a biological overclass or master race. Mm. Um, that uh, gets us into a kind of situation like what we see in the movie Gattaca, where right. you have exactly this kind of dystopian situation where the genetically blessed are the ruling elite and everybody else has to make do. Another uh, problem that you can have is you could have uh, crusaders then say, oh, not only must we make these available to everyone, everyone must have these modifications. And you get into a Borg or Cyberman type situation where mm -hmm. these are then being forced on people. Um, now, transhumanists will say, we don't want that. We want people to have freedom in terms of what modifications they choose to have in their lives. But the problem is, once you have some people with these modifications, it creates a competitive situation. If some people have a brain boost that makes them notably smarter than everybody else, they're going to tend to outcompete for the for the best jobs and so forth and and for more wealth. And then if you don't choose to get modded, you're going to be at a competitive disadvantage and you're uh, you're going to be ultimately this is the longer term playing out of the scenario. You're going to be outcompeted the same way that we as Homo sapiens outcompeted the Neanderthals. And so we run the risk of even unintentionally bringing about human extinction through the transhumanist project. You know, we see an example of this in, 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 a, in one way already in professional sports where uh, mm -hmm. athletes are taking enhancing uh, uh, technologies, whether usually uh, some kind of drug or steroid of some sort, uh, to enhance their ability to give them just that much of an edge on the field. And that creates a competitive disadvantage so that the other guy has to go out and do this usually dangerous uh, thing 
the, mm-hmm. and and so the NFL or the Tour de France or the Olympic Committee has to ban these substances and be very vigilant uh, on it. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, this is the transhumanism um, issue playing out already. Uh, yeah, at, at a lower and, level. And we've seen echoes of this, uh, you know, in the 20th century eugenics movement where they were talking about doing all of, not all of these things, but many of the same things through selective breeding. Right. Uh, and now trans, now technology has opened up in such a way that you don't need to wait generations for it to happen. According to the transhumanists, you can do it to people directly instead of doing it to their great, 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 great grandchildren. It, it offers up other issues too. Uh, in addition to creating an underclass, if people are functionally immortal, um, what happens to the issue of overpopulation? And then, uh, you know, because a lot of these people also uh, usually have the ideolo- same ideological understanding that they think, believe in the, that the world is overpopulated. And so certain classes of poor other people maybe don't deserve to be born and, or or yeah. worse. Uh, and, or so they need to be shipped off to off-world colonies that they also get modified for. Right. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, uh, sci-fi is rife with warnings about this sort of uh, project. Um, yeah. And what? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we talk about that. It's it, it's an evidence of the of the of in some ways uh, there there may be Christian uh, transhumanists, but, but I would suspect mm-hmm. they're rare. But I, I think in general, it's it sort of betrays a, a lack of. It it portrays the same people who are transhumanists. I think will often intersect with the Venn diagram of people who are atheists, um, yeah. who are materialists, uh, and, and people. It's it's interesting. Um, this is actually one thing that the congregations of of the doctrine, congregation for the doctrine of the faith, talked about in uh, Dignitas Personae is this attempt to master human nature reflects a desire to assume the role of God. And uh, you're playing God if you're trying to be the master and designer of a new human nature. And people have pointed out that the zeal that transhumanists have for their project is is basically religious. And transhumanism has even been uh, discussed in terms of being a secular religion with a form of it, it's got a kind of messianic vision for the human race. It has an end times uh, that it's approaching with a glorious millennium on the other side of it. It has a kind of technological salvation and all of these things, you know, echo religious themes very strongly. But there's a key question. If we start assuming the role of God, because we We don't have God's wisdom. Whose values are going to prevail in all this? And that's a subject that was discussed by um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man, where he he talks about the transhumanist project before that name was in common use. uh, And I don't he doesn't even use it in the book, if I remember correctly. But um, he talks about what would happen if one group of people ever did get the chance to radically revise human nature and what would what would the results of that be in terms of the freedom that future generations would have after or not have after their nature has been radically revised by a certain group of people who got this power so uh let's, let's get to the the bo- what's the bottom line on the on the transhumanism uh project well 
I think the bottom line combining uh, both the faith and reason perspective is that we can expect there will be forthcoming biomedical and technological breakthroughs uh, that may uh, benefit the human race, but that also pose dangers. Some of the more modest transhumanist goals may be achievable, and that means that transhumanism is an ideology that we need to take seriously and that poses grave dangers for humanity. It's not clear how much of this is going to be achievable, but we can expect that some of it is likely to be achievable in some form. I mean, even if it's just messing with people's genes to try to boost intelligence, that's something that easily could happen within the next century. And that of itself could create an overclass and a competitive disadvantage. And so that's something we need to watch very closely. Jim, you have a uh, an article on your uh, yeah. website about transhumanism? Right. It's called The Challenge of Transhumanism, and it will uh, be linked in our show notes. Right. So I think that uh, kind of sums up this discussion from us on transhumanism. And uh, I encourage the listener to, you know, tell us what you think. What do you think of the topic? What do you think of what we had to say about it? Uh, do you have any uh, interesting thoughts to, to add to the conversation? Um, Maybe you're a transhumanist and have a completely different perspective on this, and you want to tell us why this isn't a problem. I would love to hear that. Um, uh, I want to, and, and if you do want to uh, contact us, uh, you can visit us at sqpn.com or go to the SQPN Facebook page, find the link to this show, and leave us some feedback in the comments. Or you can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. Um, and also, I want to encourage you. This since the show again, I've, I've said this before. Yeah, the show is new. And we need to grow our audience. And so we we want to uh, appeal to you. You've downloaded the show and listened to it. And hopefully you've enjoyed it. So if you could um, like the show on uh, Facebook, uh, share it on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, uh, give us a comment, subscribe to the feeds on iTunes, Google Play, uh, tune in. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, to click the, uh, you know, subscribe, but also to hit the bell to, to get the notifications. Uh, anything you can do to help us spread the word about this new show, which I, I'm enjoying immensely, and I hope you are too. Um, and then uh, from from there, if you can also leave us a review on iTunes, that helps a lot. You know, give us a five star review and and say you know what you like about the show. Uh, I, Apple uses the iTunes reviews uh, as part of their algorithm to decide what shows to promote to others. So that that really helps us a lot. So. Um, you can find links to our personal social media and our websites on our show notes on sqpn.com, as well as to some resources that Jimmy's gathered together on this topic. Uh, until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Uh, I want to thank Jimmy Aiken. <laughs> thank you for joining me in exploring uh, this mysterious world. My pleasure, Dom. And again, thank you uh, for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World.